She's there. She understands what's happening to her, but she can no longer communicate it in lengthy conversations. But if you repeat it often enough and are patient enough, she'll tell you what she's thinking. Welcome back to Roger That, the podcast dedicated to navigating you through the heavy haze of dementia. This is part two of our two-part conversation with James Russell, who is a caregiver for his daughter who has early onset Alzheimer's. In part one, we discussed Jim becoming a caregiver for his daughter. So if you missed part one, go ahead and give that a listen first. We'll wait right here for you. Jim, let's jump right back in. Now, it's my understanding in reading your your blog that she's recently moved from the assisted living to an Alzheimer's care facility. Is that correct? Yeah, she she did well in the facility that she had. I could just tell you hundreds of stories if I documented them all about the way they responded to the kind of care she went through. She had to go through the COVID lockdown. She had to go through a movement to life's neighborhood. So she'd been through a lot. And um, she's at the point now where she's in the seventh stage of Alzheimer's. So she can't communicate verbally with you in any coherent way unless it's a few words at a time and those have to be cogent uh, phrases. So we told her, uh, Lynn, we need to get you off this floor. The reason was it was a floor that took care of all patients who were needing health care in a severe state of disability. And they, there were patients who were raging while they were at the table. There were patients that are, um, were aggressive. Those, they um, were people who did not necessarily have dementia. And uh, the noise in that facility was significant. They, they had a television that broadcast to the dining area. Then they had Alexa playing. All the staff had to communicate with each other at that location in the kitchen. So it was noisy. And Lynn would say, I want to go home. I want to go. So I kept saying to her, Lynn, we're going to get you off this floor. We're going to get you off this floor. Trust me. And she, she had learned to trust me. You know, she told people I was the greatest dad in the world. And uh, so I had to live up to that all the time. Sounds like you were. It's, I, I had an impulse one time when we got her some food and got her set up or something. Am I still the greatest dad in the world? I was worried because she used to call me the greatest dad in the universe. But she had downgraded me as the greatest dad in the world when I moved her into that facility. So I thought, am I, am I still okay? And um, so I joked with her. I said, I'm still greatest dad in the world. And despite that concern, she just shot her hand up in the air, said yes as firmly as she could. The speed with which she did it was what made me feel good. Yeah. But Lynn is in a state where she can understand what's happening to her, but she can't verbalize it. So I, I would tell her, we're going to move you. Her friends came over and told her, we're going to get you in a new facility. And so we also wanted to change durable power of attorney. For me, it happens to me. We changed it over to the boys. They're 24 or 25 years old now. Mm-hmm. We want them more involved, and they want to be more involved. So we said, do you want to be on the uh, durable power of attorney backup for me when something happens? They said, yes. So then we went to Lynn and I said, Lynn, do you want your boys to have durable power of attorneys as backup for me so they can better care for you? As we were walking the hallways, she never said a word. She just kept walking the hallway. And uh, so I waited about five minutes and I said, Lynn, do you, and I used exactly the same words. She didn't say anything. She walked a little more. 
Five minutes later, I said, Lynn. And I said it again, and she said, yes. So I said, okay. She had to sign those documents. I couldn't change the durable power of attorney as durable power of attorney. Only she can change that. Right. So the next day, I had her girlfriends go with her. Um, I called her and I said, repeat these exact words to her to see if that's what she wants. Because it's the notary's responsibility to ask Lynn if she knew what she was doing. Mm -hmm. Did you understand what this change is? You know, if she did, then she would accept Lynn's signature. So Nancy grilled her on those questions. So when she met the notary, the notary asked her those questions and Lynn said, yes, I do. And she said, okay, sign here. And we have her signature on those. You probably wouldn't recognize it as Lynn Russell, but her signature and her exodus are there. So she's, she understands. And that I've seen it again and again. When I, when I started dating uh, my girlfriend now, who is Episcopal priest, and the two of us are moving into using what we've learned from her hospice treatment and care and everything else, working on dementia with churches, we're meeting with the Alzheimer's Association here in Washington next week to talk about a program for that issue. Because as you know, dementia-friendly communities are a big asset. Washington has a dementia-friendly community. We didn't see any dementia-friendly faith organizations in there. And uh, the Alzheimer's Association is really interested in expanding that support. So um, we're talking about putting a program together for us. Carol and I are still in the learning stages of that, but there's an immense amount of information. We're working with the church in Des Moines. We're working with the chaplain at uh, uh, Wesley Holmes. We're talking with the other church. Anyway, so um, I said to Lynn, I said, Lynn, I have a girlfriend. That was on Thursday. Mm -hmm. She didn't say a word. And I treat her as if she's a completely understanding adult about what I'm saying over and over again. So the next day I said, Lynn, I have a girlfriend. I'm going to bring her over, introduce her. Didn't say a word. So Saturday morning, we walked in together, not knowing what we were going to expect. She walked right with me. I didn't send her in alone or go in and call her in. We walked in jointly. And um, as soon as she saw us, Lynn said, she's nice. <laughs> she wasn't even looking at me. She was, she was looking at her. She's nice. Carol walked around the edge of the table and sat down next to her. Lynn turned to her and oriented to her, looked her right in the eyes and said, she's nice. And it, now, when we get together, she kind of depends on Carol. Because <laughs> Carol has that huge compassion that she gets from being an Episcopal priest and dealing with all sorts of things like that. So she's there. She's there. She understands what's happening to her, but she can no longer communicate it in lengthy conversations. But if you repeat it often enough and are patient enough, she'll tell you what she's thinking. You know, I think that that's a great point. Uh, and probably one that people that are new to this don't understand, that they are still who they were. They are still there. It's a problem with the communication. And, you know, the fact that you just, you asked the question, she didn't respond, you didn't react to the non-response, you just waited a bit of time, and then you asked it again. And over time, giving her brain time to process it is because the brain is working much slower than she was able to respond. Um, that's, a, that's an excellent tip for 
our listeners. Yeah. And one we will definitely share. Uh, one thing that Mike's dad used to say all the time was, it don't make sense. He knew there was something wrong. He couldn't make sense of it. It don't make sense. One time I was talking to her and she was struggling with something. And I said, well, Lynn, part of the reason you're having trouble with that right now is because you do have dementia through Alzheimer's. And she went, oh, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know where she was or what she was thinking, but, you know, that was her reaction. Yeah. yeah. One of the things Carol and I are really working on right now is the visitation of somebody with Alzheimer's. I've created a team. You know, I, I really see my job more as a team for the care team that we have than I do as I am the personal caregiver. When I found out that she was really linked up with some high-powered Microsoft woman whom she worked with, because they gave her a birthday party and they invited me to go to it. So I was the only guy there. So the only thing I could do was listen to that group. And, and they were really in love with Lynn and cared for her, made a big difference in their lives. So they came from around the country to go to that luncheon in the house. I thought, I'd love to learn more about my daughter. I, I didn't know those stories. So I started interviewing those stories from them. And, and I realized I've got to put those stories through the uh, webpage that I've got so I can share that information. And it turns out that it brought in high school students that really were with Lynn and loved her. The teachers that she worked with at schools that I had no idea how to get a hold of. And they just created a support team to care for her. Every Sunday, one of them, best friend forever, I think, probably, and her girlfriend picked Lynn up, get her out of the facility, get her in a car, take her to a, a park. She takes off her shoes. She walks through the, the kiddies' pool, listening to the, the boys and girls cheering and laughing, and she's laughing. And They spray her, and she even sprays them back. She walks through parts and hear bands playing. She looks over, and she sees they're pretty good-looking guys. She starts looking at that and talking about them. Nancy, as the best friend, says, Lynn, you're starting to get rummy. And she says, yeah. <laughs> so, they, you know, they had that kind of fun. She, she can get Lynn to do stuff I can't. That's why I called her. And so Lynn gets a lot more than, than me. She, and that we got a lot that comes through the webpage. I, I, I can't tell you how many differences we've made in her care because of what those people were doing. One of the, the emails we got after she was discovered online by her sixth grade teacher was an email describing her favorite story of Lynn in grade school. Lynn had been teaching this boy how to do a spelling bee. She went into the spelling bee. She won the spelling bee. He got second. And so Lynn wanted to give him the present because he worked harder and, and win the spelling bee. Well, it was a district competition, so they couldn't do that. She was disappointed. And so we had a chance to tell that story to her boys. So I took the story and I gave it to Lynn. And I said, I'm going to read this while her boys were sitting there. And they had never heard that story before. So the greatest gift that that teacher could give was not a card that was a nice, you know, note saying, I hope you're fine. It was my favorite story of Lynn. So I put that out on the webpage. And the next thing you know, I got best story, my favorite stories of Lynn from her coworkers. Uh, the time that they had to uh, rescue a dog. That the, and the boys again listened. And as soon as I read the story to Lynn, she started saying, oh, yeah, Susan. So she remembered the story. So 
I think about all the churches that we want to talk to, and what they have is these card systems. You know, they make out nice cards and send it to the people that are in residencies and everything. Well, I, I can't give cards to Lynn anymore. She can't, she can't look at the pictures. She holds them in her hand for a few minutes and then puts them down. So those messages don't mean anything. But what really means something to her is stories that she can identify with. And those stories I can share with her kids and I can put on the web so we get a much richer dimension of who Lynn is than we would if she's just an Alzheimer's patient. That is a perfect example of we are not the only people that have our memories, our families and our friends and people that we have you know, spent time with throughout our lives are our memory keepers and how valuable that is when you can tap into them in a way that you have that they can come forward and share the memory. So nobody's asking Lynn, do you remember this? They're telling, I remember this. And Lynn's saying, I remember that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's probably the, the best point of, besides yours and Lynn's relationship, that's probably the best point to go forward with other caregivers of getting those stories reading those stories of memories to the person they're caring for. That's great. Think about a church group that gets together to send a card to Lynn, all right? Yeah. What's the favorite story that you have of Lynn? So this group sits around and talks about a favorite story for Lynn, and they can write a card to her about that. Or they can just collect stories. You know, in the church, the church could say, we're collecting stories on Sundays because we're going to send her a card. What stories have you got that you could share with us? So now you have the whole congregation thinking about how do you talk to people who have dementia and visit with them. Right. And they're more willing to go visit with them because they can say, you know, Lynn, what I really loved best about you was when we did And it could connect with them. That's good, too, because a lot of people, even family members, don't come because they don't know how to talk to the person anymore. Absolutely. She's got... She's got that with her sons. One son has had a very difficult time going, the youngest one. But we've also been reading, Carol and I have been reading about some things that we believe would be very important for everybody, in, particularly people in the faith community, like, like your bishop, who uh, was a bishop for the Methodist Church that was on with a couple of, of us. I, I really enjoyed that as further confirmation. We're reading his book, the one on vanishing. And... Um, so he, he was talking about that. Other books we've talked about are the fact that when you're visiting, it's really important to try to use all five senses, the visual, the music, the um, touch, the um, uh, seeing, um, the uh, feeling. Carol, as an Episcopal priest, had to give a worship service for a dying Hindu woman with her daughter sitting there. So. Carol would describe what she wanted to say about the service. Her daughter would translate it to her mother, who only spoke Bengali. And so they went through as an effective service. But now, Carol and I talked about how much she much would rather known, well, what music would play in the background for her that would really make a difference for her? Mm -hmm. What aromas might she you know, be linked to in a, in a service like that? What um, what could what tactile thing, What could she hold on to that might be important? And there are just stories after stories. Her Carol's son is also an Episcopal priest, 
And she said that he was talking to a man in his care who had never spoken anything for months. And so finally he said, I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer with you. So he said the Lord's Prayer, and guess what? Very shortly into the prayer, he repeated it. He, he said it with him. Well, of course. He, that's something he'd heard all of his life deeply ingrained into him. The same thing is true with hymns. Some of, the, some of them have very favorite hymns. Well, which would be their favorite hymn? 20 years from now, if I'm on that deathbed, and if they play Be Thou My Vision, I'd remember that one and probably sing along with them because that one's deeply ingrained to me as one that was favorite. And then other stories. I don't know whether you know, but one woman saw a cross just because the, the person who was caring for her brought a cross into the service and showed it to her and gave it to her. She said, a cross, a cross. Thank you. It's so important. We always had it above our bed. And he said, well, why did you have it above your bed? Well, because that was everything in the morning when we woke up, we looked at that and we knew that was our guidance for our life that day. Very meaningful. And, and she said, quite stunned, I hope we're an adult session. She said, and because also the way we communicated with love with sex in that bed was much in relationship with our love for each other through Christ. And so that cross had an enormous meaning to her. Just all sorts of stories like that. If, to, to in, if you knew you could do those kinds of things, you'd be more willing to go visit with somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, James, it's been an absolute joy sitting here talking with you, and I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it. I've learned a couple things, as, as Bobby and I usually do. Well, always do, I should say. Thank you for taking the time to sit and talk with us and uh, relate your story to our listeners. Really appreciate it. Well, it's been my joy. Well, thank you very much, like Mike said. And one of the things that I wrote down was the repetition. If you don't get a response, you know, just give them a few minutes. Don't make an issue out of it and ask the question again. Exactly the same way, precisely the same way. And of course, we are the memory keepers for those who have a dementia. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we will be putting links to James's website on our show website. Great, great. Absolutely. You. you can find more information about Jim and links to Nevertheless Dementia website on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. Bobby and I would love to hear from you. would like to answer any questions you might have or just find out how you're doing. Please connect with us on our Roger That Facebook and Twitter pages. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. 
Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.